G'day, folks. Paulie and I are taking a bit of a break over the New Year's period. I'll be at the beach and so will Paul, but you know, please don't look. Look, in the meantime, we've got some classic episodes for you to catch up on, and this is our second episode of all time. It's about the American Declaration of Independence and gout. Okay, folks, so here's the show. Heroes and howlers, and the rest is history. My name's Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thank you, Mikey. Okay, it's about those weird bits of history, the bizarre twists of fate. The cock-ups actually made the (laughs) stuff-ups that have made the world what it is today. Welcome, folks, and today we're talking about revolutions. I'm going to start with a big one. Yep. The American Revolution, the incredible twists and turns that led on the 4th of July, 1776, to the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence. And the often overlooked role of gout. Gout? Gout. Yes, gout is fundamental to the Declaration (laughs) of Independence, mate. Now, gout, that's the rich man's arthritis, isn't it, mate? What is gout? (laughs) Stop staring at me like you think I've had it, which I can understand. It's an inflammation that occurs of uric acid that crystallises and builds up in the joints. Right. Often in the feet and particularly in the big toe. So it's balls of acid crystallising in the big toe. Now, okay, I'm never drinking red wine again. What about you? (laughs) Well, actually, mate, funny you should say that. uh, You'd know Thomas Sydenham. Oh, Thomas Sydenham, yeah, the the English Hippocrates. Great. Probably the most famous doctor after Dr. Johnson, yes. Yes, he once said many centuries ago, if you drink wine, you have the gout. If you don't drink wine, the gout's got you. Oh, yeah, fair point. Okay. So we're going to get to the role played in the American Revolution. The American Revolution. Declaration of Independence. Yes. 1776. And you say it's all down to gout. Oh. <laughs> you know, just bear with me on this one, mate. Okay, right, so nothing do... a, yeah, I was going to say nothing about throwing off the yoke of colonialism, nothing about freedom fighting, nothing even about the fallout of the Seven Years' War. So we need a bit of background here. Look, yeah, you're right. We've got the Seven Years' War, we've got the French-Indian War. But, I mean, I hate to say this, Paul, but get your maps out. Okay, well, folks, this is... Always my favourite part of the show. So I'm a bit of a map collector. I won't. I won't lie to you. And this is one here, Mikey. I've yeah, got. Much. This will show you exactly what the state of play was. You know, in the mid 18th century. Because as you can see, a lot of people don't realise it's. <laughs> well, for a start, it doesn't look anything like America, right? No, no, no exactly. I mean, it's just it's sort of just 13 little bits. Well, that's it. It's just these 13 colonies, right? Yeah, you, know, you got this weird sticky out bit, Massachusetts just... at the top, you know, all the way down to Georgia in the south. But it's only this tiny, tiny part of the whole continent that we're talking about. But yeah, because this bit over here, mm. you know, you, you, Texas, you know, what's now, you know, the southwest, California, this is all start, still part of Mexico. Yeah, right? which, is, which is run by the Spanish. That's right. But then also, too, you've got this bit down the middle. And then you've got the bit down the middle, that's right. Yeah, so you've got this whole bit in the middle, because this is the French part mm. of North America, because you see the French were sort of late starters on the continent. And they, they, so they came in through Quebec, the mm. Great Lakes, and basically they just followed the river systems down the middle, because they weren't that fussed, to be honest, about colonising. They All they wanted to do was the trade, all the way down to New Orleans. Yeah, the Mississippi. And which is why we were getting all that great food in New Orleans, dare exactly. I say. But, it's just, but they had all these trading routes down yeah. there. So we then have... Basically, we'll go because France and let's be honest, you know, France and England never get on. Never get on. That's right. So they're basically at war, like, like we mentioned, the Seven Years' War in Europe. That was like f- 
Britain versus France, Spain, and the Holy Roman. Everyone was involved, really. But then over in North America, as you said, you've got those, what we call the French and Indian Wars, which was basically Britain against, you know, its North American rivals. Don't worry, folks, we'll be getting to gout soon. <laughs> but we've got to say, in 1763, you've got the Treaty of Paris. That's right, yeah. And OK, that's, that concludes all the wars. Quebec gets given to Britain. And basically, Britain comes out of it very, very well. But of course, it's also... Broke because these wars they've cost bucket loads, yeah. So, George the Third, old friend of yours, I know, yeah, yeah crazy old King George, yeah. So, he's a um, penny in for a pound, <laughs> exactly. So, he says, Right, speaking of pennies and pounds, who's going to pay for this? And look, this is not completely ridiculous. Let's not forget that the guys who became the founding fathers in America were amongst the wealthiest men in the world. In fact, 40% of Great Britain's GDP came from the colonies. That's right, yeah. So so, and that's just the American colonies. Just, Mikey, just, right? just, yeah, just, yeah. They're in charge of India, they've, they're about to get Australia, they've got Africa, they've got lots of... But the American colonies are key, fundamental to the economy of Britain and the British Empire at the time. So you've got this bloke called Lord Townsend, who's turned for the exchequer. Yep. So he comes up with a plan to make the colonies pay for it. And that brings about... The what Stamp Act. The yeah. Stamp Act of 1765. That's right. Don't worry, folks, we're almost about to get to gout. <laughs> now, this is not a tax on stamps. No, no, we're not talking about postage stamps here, folks. Yeah, they don't get invented for another 50 years. We're talking about stamp paper, Mike. Yeah, newspapers, pamphlets, almanacs, playing cards. Yeah, yeah. playing cards, and yeah. uh, even even down to dice. When you bought dice, it came with a, with, with a stamp. So that's right. Yeah, so basically, they, wanted, they think that's a great way of creating revenue. Let's t- tax the bejesus out of it and we'll get all that money back. Now, but of course... The corners aren't keen on the idea. <laughs> no taxation without representation. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. And also, too, you have to remember, not just that, but quite a few British MPs who've got financial dealings in the Americas, they're not keen on the Stamp Act coming in. Well, that's, that's very true, Mikey, because you've got to remember that in that day and age, the, the wealthiest Britons, they tended to own lands, not just in Britain, but also they'd have their plantations on the other side of the pond. So any taxation of the colonies indirectly was going to hurt a lot of wealthy people back home too. I'm glad you said that because they had a leader in the parliament, a guy who could rally the forces, one of the great statesmen of British history. He's dead set against it. We all know him as Pitt the Elder. Good old Uncle Willie, yes. and he, William Pitt. And as the Stamp Act is about to be brought through parliament... Pitt reckons, hang, hang in with me, folks here. Pitt reckons he's got the numbers to shout it down. It won't get through. Yeah, so except. Well, except, of course. I know you, you're itching to get in here, Maggie. Yeah. But you, yeah, you've got to remember, Pitt, basically, he has said to the colonists, I will be your representation yeah. because you haven't got any MPs. You haven't got a Congress yet. Yeah, they've got governors and assemblies, but nothing much. I will be your leader. I will go in, fight your cause. And as you say, he reckons he's got the numbers to not this stamp pack down. That! He's my favourite hey. bit. He's all set to go to London. Yep. He's struck down by gout. Ah. Struck down, because yeah, he, did, he didn't mind the occasional Bordeaux after dinner with right. dinner and for breakfast. So right. I knew he wasn't there, and you're saying it's because it was gout. It definitely was gout. He was <laughs> right. struck down with gout. Okay. So the stamp act, yeah. because Pitt's not there, debilitated by gout, the stamp act, stamp act gets through. goes through. Ooh. It is Deeply unpopular in the colonies. Yeah. And it starts the first rumblings That's right. of, well, dare I say revolution, began wanting to be independent. That's right. And yeah, it, it, because they're not just rumblings, Mike, the Stamp Act ends up having to be repealed uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. everyone's so 
peed off with it, you know. Well, because there's that line that Pitt says that the Americans are the sons, not the bastards, bastards of England. Exactly. So, yeah. so that, so but <laughs> your, the man that you mentioned before, Lord Townsend, he doesn't give up that easily. No. No, he's decided we, we really need to tax the colonies more mm. to pay for these these two wars. And if we're not going to do stamps, let's do ooh, let's do a cup of tea. Cup of tea. Cup of tea, Boston. So, Here we go. So Lord Townsend's about to bring the tea tax in through the British Parliament. That's right. Once again, Pitt the Elder reckons he's got the numbers, he's got the eloquence, he's got the speechifying. Yeah. He can bring it down. He's about to head off to the Houses of Parliament. No. Bedridden. No way. Bedridden. No, weeks. not again. Gout. Yeah. Again. Gout strikes again. Right. And the tea tax so goes. Gout defeats the whole House of Parliament. <laughs> British parliamentary system is defeated by gout. Let's face it, a lot of powerful men have had gout. Charlemagne, yep. Henry VIII. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, so, all right. So Pitt is, dev- is struck down by gout. The tea tax goes through. Right. And, well, mate, I'm not going to say and the rest is history, but the colonies go mad. Yeah, well, look, this is where... Look, I like the gout idea, don't get me wrong, Mike. I'm, I'm, I'm not done with it yet, mate. This is where I think you've got to also have a look at a couple of other parts of the picture because you, the colonies do go mad. Yeah, mm. you've you got that give me liberty, give me death, Patrick Henry stuff. Yeah, you've got the Sons of Liberty running amok mm. in Boston. But is it really liberty? They're after Mikey, you know, or is it just, you know, is it just the dosh? We like to think of, you know, George Washington as being the peasant farmer, but, mm. mate, seriously, if Washington was alive today, how much money would he be worth? Oh, uh, yeah, okay, that's a good point. Yeah, so basically, I think in today's money, mm. Washington was worth something like 500 million pounds or dollars, you know. I'm not uh, sure. uh, Jefferson was a rich man. Jefferson wasn't far behind, that's uh, right, yeah. Uh, I think four of the top ten wealthiest people in the world were in the colonies at times, uh, something like that. You can throw a Hancock in as well, which yeah. then brings me back. Yeah. I'm going to talk about Gowdy again, man. Okay, so they, the founding fathers all get together for the first congress in Philadelphia. Yeah. You've got three of the great minds there working on what would be the Declaration of Independence. Yes, that's right. And apart from liberty, what did Jefferson, Hancock and Franklin all bond over? Uh, t- not, uh, they all had gout, mate. They all had gout. They all had gout, and they so they, they used to party together and right. they used to suffer together. And in fact, so you got gout in Parliament back in England. Now we've got gout spreading all over North America. Yeah, it was, all through the founding fathers. Yeah, okay. And, and it's, it's amazing because you know, I'm, I'm just going to diverse for a second. Yeah. Franklin was a very fit young man, but often like, fit, it is fit young blokes who get gout when they're older. Fun fact. Go on. Benjamin Franklin invented flippers. Invented flip as in diving flippers. As in swimming flippers, yeah. This is the guy who didn't they carry him around on a sedan chair half the time? When he, he got, when he got <laughs> old, fat and gout, yeah, and by that stage yeah. he's actually at the first Congress helping to write up the Declaration of Independence, which is being written by three gouty men. Okay, just a quick reminder where we are, folks. So we're, we're, we're getting towards the 4th of July, 1776. Declaration of Independence. Exactly. The huge global shift that came out of that. And, yep. you know, I'm pushing the role that was played by gout in it. Yeah. But there are Definitely other... pushing that, by the way, folks. <laughs> okay, definitely pushing that, <laughs> But also, too, there are some geopolitical factors as well. Yeah. And dare I say it, Paul, get your maps back out. Okay, so we've got this map here. We've talked about this area, but what I want to also mention is this bit in the middle, next to the, between the French bit and the, the colonies, yeah, you've got this blank part, the Appalachian Mountains. Now, after the Treaty of Paris... 1863. Uh, yeah. 1763. 1763. <laughs> no, well, he's not bad, Mac. He's, he's close. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Yeah, he, he did go to Oxford. Britain has promised 
this area to the Native Americans, right? Yeah, he said that, that you're going to have this land. That sounds rather progressive. Uh, yeah, uh, well, uh, yeah, well uh, some people do say that, yeah, maybe it's because the British wanted to be nice to the Native Americans, maybe they needed them, if they'd had them on their side, maybe they would have won the American War of Independence. But, yeah, I don't think so, to be honest. Let's, let's be honest, in 1763, they'd also brutally put down Pontiac's Rebellion, don't forget. Which, yeah. which was led by Native Americans. Yeah, and really, all the Brits wanted was a buffer a buffer state in between themselves and the French just to make sure that you know, no more war outbreaks you know, to keep the peace. And But the American colonists wanted that land because they could see it ripe for the taking. Well, exactly. See, the colonists, yeah. they don't want any barriers. Yeah, They don't no. want any buffers. For them, um, the whole point of North America is, you know, go west, young man. You know, which, yeah. which will be later explained to by Jefferson as manifest destiny. Exactly. That, yeah. whole, that whole concept. Yeah, the, it's the First Amendment, really, and the Second Amendment. Yeah, the right to bear arms <laughs> and woe betide any authority that wants to stop them from wiping out the local population, stealing all their territory. What, so, you know, <laughs> so you're saying this uh, revolution wasn't exactly the, the land of the free, give me liberty, give me death? Is it liberty? Is it money? Or is it gout? <laughs> well, I'll come back to that in a second. But you make a point, because the founding fathers, yeah. you know, like the pilgrims, you know, the lunatic Bible bashers and silly hats. Not all of them wore Not silly all, hats. Well, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but that's the thing. You have to remember, too, at the same time that, you know, we're talking about the land of liberty. Yeah, and know, we're talking about the land of money, right? Because yeah. these guys, you know, they didn't want to give all their wealth to the Redcoats or, you know, some mad king on the other side of the ocean. For them, yeah. it was very important. This is a chance to make big, big bucks. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, it was the homesteaders and the freedom fighters who all came to Washington's volunteer army to rise up against and the let's, Brits. let's not forget, also do at the same time, in 1776, there were 300,000 slaves in the 13 colonies, which made up 15% of the population, the original sin, dare I say, of America. But you Talking about money and talking about, about people rising up. Because no, little bit do people know, Mikey, those troops that were fighting against the British in the, the War of Independence, Washington repeatedly writes to Congress saying, I actually haven't got any troops. They're not volunteering. They're not coming. I haven't got enough troops. We need to pay them more money. In fact, some troops defected to the British side because the Brits paid better. <laughs> some went from one side to the other to the other. Whoever's got the biggest paycheck. Which brings me back to, I'm so glad you mentioned this, Mike. Right. Brings me back to gout. Right. Because the Americans know they need money. They need some more troops, but they need financial backing. These, you know, these, these revolutionaries. Yeah. So they put Benjamin Franklin on a ship. Mm. And they send him to France. Mr. Flippers again. And one of the first people he meets there is one of the most powerful men in France, the Comte de Verganais. Yeah, the uh, Comte de Vergan. Yeah, yeah, Comte yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice chap. Yeah. Once, um, again, once again, with the French pronunciation making me look but bad. Surely, Mikey, that's my point, isn't it? He's going there to ask for money for his troops. Yeah, but here the Comte, mate, they get on like a house on fire because they've both got the gout. They've both... Uh, he's got the gout. Franklin's got the gout and so does, so does Frenchie. They've both got so the gout. So the only reason... They got on with each other is because of... Well, also, too, they were both party... They bonded. They bonded. They were both party boys. I mean, you know, let, let's face it, Franklin spent most of the American Re Revolutionary War with his pantaloons around his ankles, but right. that's, that's another story. Yeah. So they bond. They bond over the gout, which then allows the French to send troops and money back, and that is a turning point in the American Revolutionary War. No, Pants-off gout behaviour saved America. <laughs> Look, I'm almost with you. Almost. I'm almost with you, mate, but I, th I think we, get, yeah, we have got to... Look back at that bigger picture. Because, okay, sure. And I must admit, this is the, the thing that does interest me 
about this oh, period. Oh, not so much gyat then. <laughs> it's because, yeah, we talk about the American Revolution, you know, some people call it the War of Independence. Some people might even call it a revolt. And look, there's, there's good arguments for all three. Yeah, politically, it certainly was a revolution, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, um, oh, yeah. And in terms of wars, it was, a, it was a proper war fought and it created an independent state. But I always like to, yeah, look back at other parts of history and compare. Why in 1776 yeah. is it called a revolution when, you know, 14th century England and a few labourers try the same trick, gets called the Peasants' Revolt, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. well yeah, is it because you have the winners write history? Dare I say the Boxer Rebellion? That's right, Maggie. In fact, you don't even have to travel that far. Only a stone's throw from Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, as we mentioned earlier, that Chief Pontiac with the Adara people. Yeah, he rises up against the British and they call it Pontiac's Rebellion. Or, or, or Pontiac's Conspiracy. That's right, yeah. And then in, in India, 1842, they call it a bloody mutiny. Yeah. Well... Yeah, well, but yeah. these guys, Maybe you've got 500 million in the back pocket. Exactly. Um, and suddenly it's a glorious revolution, you know, declaration of independence. And the rest is history. Can I go back to Gout? <laughs> go on. I mentioned John Hancock before, and this yeah. is, this is the, the, the final part of the story of right. Gout and, and the declaration of independence and the American Revolution. When it comes time for the Constitutional Convention, when America's figured out the country it's going to be, yeah. now, remember, we all know Hancock's the guy that gave the big signature on the Declaration of Independence, hence the phrase, yeah, John Hancock. Is that why he, oh, he had gouts in his hands so he had no, to write no, no, big, no. scrawly letters? No, no, no. Years later, he reckoned that he, he wasn't being listened to enough by the Constitutional Convention. Right. He wanted a bigger seat at the table. Right. So he feigned an attack of gout that miraculously disappeared once they said, oh, come on, mate, we, we, yeah, we, we love yous. <laughs> and then, and then you. So, so you got a nice seat. Yeah. He, oh, he's on the big table. And then years later, when he was a governor of one of the colonies too, he actually used gout as, as his, as his get-out-of-jail card. Yeah. When they had him bang up for corruption, he retired on medical reasons. Medical grounds. Oh, I see. So, so as you can see, mate, from basically from the Stamp Act right through to the American Constitution, gout runs through as a bit of a through line. So you're saying Declaration of Independence, 1776, 4th of July, American Revolution, you're saying all comes down to gout. Well, I might be drawing a long bow, mate, but the role of gout has been seriously underplayed. No, it has, that's true. And Um, let's not forget filthy money and slavery were there as well. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's been, you know, it's not the bits the Americans like to talk about, is it, Mikey? No. um, But, you know, I think we have to admit it wasn't just all freedom and liberty. No, it was was, was gout. (laughs) I'm sticking with that, and the rest is history. And the rest is history. Thank you. (laughs) 